Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success with your host, Matt Bonner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick. With a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, We explore the link between trauma, mental health, learning disabilities, and genius. Look at a number of historical figures and how they harnessed struggles like depression and ADHD to achieve world-changing results. And we examine the practical steps you can take to overcome your struggles with Dr. Gail Saltz. Because the science of success has spread across the globe with more than 525,000 downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, hitting number one new noteworthy, and more. I give away something awesome to my listeners every single month. This month, I'm giving away a $100 Amazon gift card to one lucky listener. Could be you. All you have to do to enter to win is to text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Again, just text SMARTER to 44222. For international listeners, All you have to do is join our email list, which you can find on our website, scienceofsuccess.co. That's scienceofsuccess.co. And if you want 10, yes, 10 extra entries into the giveaway, all you have to do is leave a positive review on iTunes and email me a screenshot of that review to matt at scienceofsuccess.co. That's M-A-T-T at scienceofsuccess.co. In our previous episode, we discussed how to create evil in a research laboratory looked at what makes people turn evil, examined the definition of heroism, dug into the famous Stanford prison experiment, explored time paradoxes, and much more with the legendary Philip Zimbardo. 
If you want to hear from a titan of psychology, listen to that episode. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Gail Saltz. Gail is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital Wheel Cornell School of Medicine and a psychoanalyst with the New York Psychoanalytic Institute. She's a columnist, best-selling author, podcast host, and television commentator, and one of the nation's foremost go-to experts on a variety of psychological and mental health issues, having appeared on Good Morning America, Dr. Oz, The View, Dateline, 2020, Primetime, Today, CNN, and many more shows. Gail, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you, Matt, for having me. This is um, such an important topic. People are very consumed with how to further themselves, but often, you know, lacking particular coping tools. So I'm really excited that you're having me today. Well, we're thrilled to have you on here. So to kind of get started, tell us a little bit about your background and how you sort of embarked on this journey. Well, I am a psychiatrist. I mean, I, I, you know, actually originally after I finished medical school, I thought I was going to be an internist. So I did a residency in internal medicine and then I decided, you know, I'm really so much more fascinated with people's minds that I decided to to do residency in psychiatry, which I've loved, and then continue my training. I did a fellowship in, in treating sexual dysfunction, and then I did my psychoanalytic training. So, you know, woe is my poor parents that paid for many, many tuitions. But uh, I had, uh, had many different areas of training, all leading to being a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, and then ultimately, you know, feeling that it was really important that many people, not just people who decided to enter treatment or could afford treatment, could have access to understanding the tools that psychiatry and psychoanalysts can provide for their everyday lives. So I started doing this, you know, talking with the lay public, I'll call it, or public education, you know, through writing, through television, through radio, because it's really, you know, people, let's put it this way, close to half of Americans do struggle with some sort of mental health issue. And uh, we can't really afford to write off half. And people are really limited in getting help for themselves, often by stigma, feeling the embarrassed and uncomfortable or not wanting to acknowledge what's going on, or sometimes because they really don't have access to it. So it's really been my pleasure, actually, to be able to have methods of communicating with larger groups of people who are looking for ways to be emotionally weller, let's say, you know, more intact, have more health, have better relationships, be better parents. So that's that's been sort of a lot of what I did and continue to do. And and then that has led to other just interesting areas for exploring this issue. One of them being, for example, I have had a few series at the at New York City's 92nd Street Y, which is an amazing cultural institution with all kinds of educative programming going on. And um, one of the things that I do there is this psychobiography series where we look at iconic figures and sort of what made them tick. And I'm really fascinated by the whole psychobiography series that you've done. And I know a number of them are available on YouTube. Tell me about kind of what is a psychobiography and what made you want to study these interesting and different people? Well, psychobiography is a, you know, taking the, the field of, I would say, psychoanalysis, you know, what, 
What do we really understand about what shaped someone from their early life and also from psychiatry, from their biological genetic givens? What shaped them into the person that they ultimately became? And I think that while you can't diagnose someone who's deceased or, or really diagnose someone who you've not treated or met, you can surmise quite a bit about the patterns of their lives and influences of important people in their lives from often from what they've expressed via letters that we can, you know, find via writings, behaviors that have been clearly documented. So I find historians for these different subjects. You know, I try to choose people that I think people are very curious about because they've been not only incredibly successful and, you know, changed the face of really history as we knew it in a particular field. So that could be the arts, it could be the sciences, it could be music. I've done psychobiographies on you know, wide ranging, you know, Vincent van Gogh to Albert Einstein to Mozart to Jackson Pollock to presidential past leaders of FDR and Lyndon Johnson. The idea is sort of what made them who they were and then in turn what they did with that and how that influences the rest of us throughout time, really. So I get a historian who's really the expert on that subject. And then I try to provide sort of the psychoanalytic understanding of what we can glean from their past behaviors. And it's, it's really fun. It's really interesting. And I think that um, an audience often can not only find it interesting, but find some comfort in the idea that these people were far from perfect. In fact, what I've found to be fascinating is that no matter who I look to as the subject, there's always some pretty major issues going on, psychiatric illness or learning disability or, you know, early trauma, but there's rarely someone who just had nothing going on that was really difficult in their past. That's such a fascinating finding and something that I think people, especially in our sort of modern society of social media and instant gratification and the idea of sort of presenting a, you know, a perfect image of yourself all the time, don't really, you know, don't really think about is that many, or if not most, if not maybe all of the people who have had a huge impact on history, on shaping our culture, these people dealt with real challenging mental issues in many cases. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's been really amazing to me how many audience members come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I feel really, this just inspired me to think about, for example, you know, my son who was, uh, let's say just, you know, is struggling with depression. And, you know, I hear about Abraham Lincoln and his lifelong struggle with depression And the ways in which actually, for example, in that case, you know, the features of, say, greater empathy when you're a person who struggled with depression, the ability to really tap into what other people are thinking and feeling and be very sensitive to that and how that helped Lincoln to be the kind of president that he was. People say, oh, gosh, you know, this makes me feel like there's something there's a potential real strength for my child or for myself. And I've overlooked that. 
And, you know, I want to think about how I can tap into that for that loved one of mine. And that's a wonderful thing because we tend to think of these issues as being, you know, solely negative and horrible, which is why they've been so stigmatized. That's fascinating. And one of the things that that I find really interesting is, you know, in many cases, people only sort of hear about or concentrate or focus on kind of the instances of, you know, somebody that's ha- that's kind of had a, a serious breakdown or failure or whatever as a result of, let's say, depression or anxiety or something like that. When in reality, many of these really important historical figures not only dealt with these major issues, but overcame them and and changed, you know, changed millions of lives, changed the course of history, et cetera. Absolutely. And not only did they overcome them, but they often, whatever they did, let's say that we find so astonishing and amazing is in some ways a direct result of the thing that they struggled with, that they are often very specifically connected And that led me to start really doing some research and speaking with many neuroscientists and many clinicians. And so I've spent the last few years actually talking with many people who you may actually you you may not know and some who you will know and even and some kids who struggled with exactly this, something really, really difficult, but it's clearly connected to some impressive strength for them. And, uh, and that has had me working on this book that will come out next March called the, the Power of Different, the link between disorder and genius, of which there is a significant link. So I really look at the hard wiring, what's going on there, why that is, what do we know and understand about it, which is something that I explore on my, on this, on my current podcast, The Power of Different. And, you know, I think you would be you would be surprised that it's not hard for me to find people to to talk about this, that we tend to you know, we're such a celebrity oriented, perfection oriented society. And we think, oh, all these people, wow, they just, you know, they just did it from the get go. And they're so together when, you know, when you scrape the surface, really, they would tell you that that's not the case. So I'm curious, and I, I want to dig deeper into kind of the whole idea behind the power is different. One of the things that, that you made a very important distinction that I did not make earlier is that it's not just that they overcame these struggles. It's that this in many ways, you know, for example, Lincoln's depression kind of gave him this deeper empathy. And it was kind of the other side of the coin that this was their biggest strength and really shaped who they were as a person and shaped the the, the great successes that they had in their lives. Exactly. I mean, I, of course, I don't want to say that people who are struggling with a real mental illness should not seek treatment and have treatment because they should. But having treatment and helping yourself in terms of struggling less does not in any way diminish the particular strengths that are associated with having that kind of problem. So for instance, in Lincoln's day, of course, there were no treatments. And actually in Lincoln's day, melancholy, which is what depression was called, was not viewed the way it is today. It was actually people with depression were often seen as kind of romantic figures or, you know, really pondering, really thoughtful, let's say. And, you know, we now understand that that may be true, but it shouldn't be romanticized. It really can cause terrible suffering. But on the flip side, Lincoln's just a great example, but I could give you a million examples. But in his case, say, 
you know, his ability to tap into what other people were thinking and really be attuned to that allowed him to bring in political partners and work with other groups and not and uh, sort of not erect a wall, but instead extend himself and really get consensus by standing in other people's shoes in, in a unique way, which is part of what made him such an amazing leader and president. And of course, empathetically understanding that, you know, slavery was wrong and be extremely motivated to do something about that. And in addition, another feature of depression is actually realism, which is sounds like, well, so what? But but really, those of us who are not depressed, to some degree, we tend to see things a little bit through rose colored glasses, which is nice and really pleasant. And, you know, it's not that far off of real, but it does tend to be on the optimistic side. But people with depression, it's not so much that they see things in a negative light that doesn't exist. It's that they tend to see things more realistically. And in the case of Lincoln, you know, at a time when, you know, we were looking at a civil war, that was hugely important. That made him able to anticipate things that were coming into view, which others might not have. And again, added to his being a particularly good leader at that time. I'd love to hear another example from the kind of either from the psychobiography series that you've done or somebody else maybe besides Lincoln that struggled with a different issue. Sure. Let's see. Well, Vincent Van Gogh obviously suffered tremendously. He obviously had a repeated apparently psychotic episodes, which people debate what the diagnosis is. From my research into his various symptoms, it looks out from out here, most like something called temporal lobe epilepsy, which is a psychiatric diagnosis. It means that you're having a seizure disorder, but your seizure activity is in the temporal lobe, which is an emotional center. And therefore, you don't see movement like you do in when we te- usually when we think of people with epilepsy and we think of them having a, a convulsion, we think of, that they're moving. And that's in, when you're having seizure activity with temporal lobe epilepsy, what you get is this what's called stickiness, where you have these intense relationships, you're very clingy and attached to people, but you also tend to fight with them a lot. So they're very labile relationships. And that obviously was a negative for Vincent van Gogh. And you have mood fluctuations, which also obviously caused him a lot of pain and discomfort. But what you also have is often visual and even auditory hallucinations. And the visual hallucinations are often like intensely colorful and attached to emotional state. And it is very possible that part of his, what motivated his painting in the way that he did had something to do with what he experienced, what he saw, that he may have seen things in distorted ways, in unusually colored ways. And that may have been very connected to his temporal lobe epilepsy. What about somebody like a Da Vinci or an Einstein? Did either of them struggle with anything in particular? Or what did you find from conducting mm-hmm. a psychobiography of them? So Einstein, of course, is greatly argued about. And again, we can't give, you know, I wouldn't, I've been clear, like you can't give a definitive diagnosis. But what I, what is apparent is this. Einstein was an extremely poor student early on. I mean, by early, I mean, through high school, he was, often found to not be paying attention 
at all, except to things that he really loved, which was physics and math. And teachers often became very irritated and were punishing. And he left school and ultimately came back to school at some point. And he had a lot of difficulty in his relationships, many things which sort of smacked of, I guess I'll say, attention deficit disorder, meaning that he would be very distractible about things that were not interesting to him, but extremely hyper-focused on things that were interesting to him. Hyper-focus is something that is sort of a side effect, which can, if used well, I guess I'll say, can really be an incredible strength. But unfortunately, in today's, for example, teenage boys struggling with ADD, they tend to hyper-focus maybe on video games, which are very rewarding and obviously not something that's necessarily going to produce a genius finding. And so that is a difficult thing for parents. But in the case of, say, an Albert Einstein, his greatest discoveries and greatest papers about the universe really occurred within a one-week period. They were three different findings and they were three different papers and they all happened while he was working in the patent office, a very menial job that he found to be boring and it brought in some money so that he could survive, but it was not exciting. But this other area where he, and he sort of sequestered himself for this week and was so intensely focused that he produced this really extraordinary, I mean, gene. Now, of course, obviously Einstein was intellectually in this area, clearly a genius, but his ability to daydream, you know, he talked about that he started with this study, so to speak, by just looking out the window and imagining that he was riding a light beam. And that was a big part of who Einstein was, his ability to daydream, to think creatively, to let his mind wander and something that annoyed the heck out of teachers who at that time didn't want his mind wandering, wanted him to be studying whatever they were teaching him. But that's what he did. That, that was who he was. And the flip side was that it really informed his ability to think outside the box in these very, very creative ways, something that really is known to go along with attention deficit disorder, and then hyper-focus when it came to an area that really interested him. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And for listeners who are curious, uh, I'm a big fan of Einstein. One of my favorite biographies of his is the the Walter Isaacson biography, which I'll throw into the show notes. Yeah, that's an amazing and incredibly well done biography. And, and I think that he really, you know, makes clear his early school struggles and many other features that actually are consistent with this with this kind of thing. Another psychobiography that you've done that was one of my favorites, uh, and I'm also a huge fan of his, is Leonardo da Vinci. What were some of the learnings uh, from that? Well, so we have much less available to look at, obviously, because it was so long ago. And so, you know, um, as you when you look at people, the farther you go back in history, often the, the less you can find because, of course, less survives. And so there are less people to say things. But again, he was remarkably able, obviously, to think in these many different directions because we think of Leonardo da Vinci, we think of him being a great painter, and of course he was, but he also had, you know, he also came up with these many inventions, many that were related to uh, military practice, flying, and so he was a thinker in so many different directions but again, from an attentional perspective, he sort of was interested in solving a problem, and that's where his interest ended. So he is also rather famous for not completing things and, you know, painting projects. You know, he would sort of solve what he deemed to be the problem in the creation of the painting or the invention, and then it was left. And so sadly for him, you know, he he had trouble getting paid for things. <laughs> he had trouble, you know, in that sense, making a living or completing things. But he, again, you know, you wonder about his ability to attend or in that sense, buckle down. But at the same time, it left his mind free to really be creative and out of the box in so many different directions that he was you know, viewed certainly at least as extremely accomplished by those who noted what he at least started. Let's zoom out a little bit. Uh, you touched on this earlier that you have a new podcast. It's called The Power of Different. 
Tell me a little bit more about that. So it's, you know, trying to understand the same thing in the sense, but with, you know, today's, today's people trying to understand and help people see the ways in which they may struggle earlier on, whether that is something difficult that's happened in their lives, you know, and maybe a mental health issue, it might be a learning issue, but it might also be, you know, a loss that they had recently interviewed Stacy London, who, you know, talked about her early struggles with complete body psoriasis, which was, you know, which socially made life extremely hard for her and also sensitized her to the issue of body and beauty and ultimately probably contributed to having an eating disorder, a body image issue. So a lot of her growing up was really difficult and she had a lot of struggle, but Ultimately, you know, that became very connected to the idea of, in her mind, of how can someone feel beautiful in their own way that isn't necessarily directly connected to conventional beauty, because this is something she really struggled with. And that ultimately led to her, you know, movement into that field and her application of the thoughts that she'd struggled with to other people and certainly something she could sympathize, empathize with. And so she has really made a highly successful career in television and in writing and in a consulting and working for Vogue and, and, you know, so many things all around this issue of body image and styling for anybody's body, you know, so anybody should be able to feel attractive and comfortable in their own skin and authentic and beautiful, not related to just cultural standards. Who are some of the other guests that you've had on and what have you learned from their experiences? Well, so I'm just getting rolling. So it's fairly new, but let's see. Doug Seidman, he's the CEO of a company that's made many, many millions of dollars, a highly successful company. It's a legal company that helps other businesses with compliance, with how to be ethical and and compliant and create that culture in their business, which is something, as you can well imagine, is, is very, very needed today. But Dub is a man who, and he's, he's been highly successful, but Dub is a man who has um, severe dyslexia and failed out of school, just had a terrible, terrible time. And he really tells the story of this experience of feeling broken and repeated failure and how it has informed his movement along the way. Ultimately, he was able to make his way to Harvard Law School, which is really an amazing story and create this very successful business. But it was important to him that the business be around this issue of honesty and ethics and authenticity. And that really came out of early struggles that he had. And that's what he's been successful in. Actually, up now is um, Steve Silverman, who you might know as the author of Neurotribes, which is a, a, an award-winning and best-selling book about autism and the particular strengths that come along with autism. So he, he is um, very, very extensively versed in this area, and we talk about that. So for somebody who's listening right now and maybe they're struggling with anxiety, depression, something like that, they see somebody like Lincoln who overcame some of these struggles, but they still feel helpless 
what sort of practical steps could they take towards applying some of these lessons and applying kind of the concept of the power of different? So what I would say is this, when you are struggling with something, you should absolutely get an evaluation and potentially treatment, depending on what that evaluation shows, because there are many treatments for, let's just say depression, for example, some of which you can do on your own. For example, exercise greatly impacts depression. And I'm not talking about like a walk around the park. I mean like 30 minutes of vigorous multiple times a week exercise, which is both preventive in terms of depression, but also just as effective as medication for mild to moderate depression. And so there are things that one can do for themselves, like mindfulness, exercise, eating well, sleeping well. And then there are things that treatment can provide, psychotherapies that can be extraordinarily helpful and or medications that can be helpful depending on how severe the situation is. So one should definitely treat themselves and because there's no reason to struggle. But at the same time, you want to spend some time on that. You also want to spend some time on trying to identify what your strengths are. And so I think sitting with yourself and thinking about things that you do see that you are good at, let's say, and you have been able to do in the past, or I mean, sometimes people really have difficulty identifying this. Therapists can help with that. Sometimes actually a career counselor can even help with that. There are particular actually self-tests one can administer to look at what your particular strengths are, but you do want to hone in on those strengths and how they can be applicable, you know, in the worldwide environment. And you want to spend time honing those things. So if empathy is a strength of yours, you want to think about the ways in which you employ that in the world and have some some focus on that as well. And think about whether, for instance, are you in a job or career where you can use empathy? And if you're not, do you want to move in that direction in some way to try to be able to use it more since it's, it is one of your strengths? And this segues a little bit into a previous book that you've written. I'm curious, how do we get sort of trapped in defeating stories that we tell ourselves? Ah, yes. Well, we all do. And so I don't want to say, oh, there's something wrong with the person who does. It's just a very, it's very common from early in life to sort of have a narrative, your own, your own story that you tend to say, this is who I am and this is why. People have, you know, it's becomes part of our character, really. And when you play that loop over and over again, it reinforces it. And it's really hard to see your way out of it. So in that book, I tried to detail for people sort of the most common stories. You know, some people are very self-defeating or masochistic. You know, some people are very dependent on others and feel they must be. Or some people feel very inhibited and feel they can't break out of that shell because, you know, there are so many things that they have to be afraid of in revealing themselves and feeling rejected potentially. You know, there are infinite numbers of stories that one could tell themselves, but it's based in psychoanalysis or psychodynamic work to try to understand or self-analyze what your particular stories are and ways that you might measure them, let's say, against reality and consider the possibility that they are rooted more in your mind than in in truth or in the outside world and ways that you might amend those stories because 
one's self-perception greatly guides how you act in the world. And then what you put out there, people tend to reflect back. So you can really, can really change your trajectory, not to mention how you, you know, the happiness that you, you have because of how you feel about yourself by really reevaluating those stories. So how can we go about amending or sort of rewriting some of these stories? I think that the number one goal is to identify the stories that you have. Even, you know, self-observation goes a long way. Sometimes when you really zero in and realize, oh, yeah, I really do think that about myself. Sometimes even just the observation helps you to change it. I often tell people to sort of write down, write down those scripts, those stories and, you know, ponder them, give them some thought. Think about whether you want to amend some of them. You want to, you know, try writing a slightly different script, write down a, oh, no, I, you know, maybe I feel like I always have to, for example, you know, be subservient to my partner. They really should always come first because I don't deserve to be coming first. And then try on for size, you know, an amended story. You know, no, I really, you know, I deserve as much as anyone. I'm going to put myself first half of the time and, you know, we'll have to make compromises and you have to sort of embrace that story and go out and give it some test runs. So that actually brings up another topic that I'm curious about. I know you're a deep expert on sex and relationships, and that's something that We've spent very, very little time on on our show, but obviously something that's vital to living kind of a happy and productive life for such a deep topic that we, we, you know, I'm sure we could talk for hours about with the little time that we do have. What are some actionable insights that or, or kind of concrete takeaways that you might be able to share with our audience in terms of improving in that area of your life? Well, that's, it's huge. Let me just say, so I'll obviously be scraping the surface, but I think people often forget that relationships really are the number one source of happiness in life. It's not, it's not money. It's not fame, even though a lot of millennials often feel like it is, but it really is the the quality of the relationships in your life. And those take work. They really do. And they can never be one-sided that never that it never ends up working, even if you feel like you're always on the receiving end. Ultimately, the other person won't stay and won't be happy. So it is about compromise. And that means it is about a lot of communicating. It is about, you know, sitting down and being willing to listen. I would say, you know, if you could add one thing to your relationship now, it would be that you're really listening to your partner, your friend, you're mirroring back what you heard. um, So they feel understood. And then you're asking for the same thing, that they take a turn and listen to you, that they be able to express what they heard from you. That is usually the first step in really having good communication, which ultimately, because everybody has to compromise in relationships, is what you know leads to longevity and, and stability in relationships. So what can we do to be better listeners? Well... <laughs> In short form, sometimes you got to shut up. Um, Sometimes you got to, you know, it's hard because we're always feeling like I want to get my stuff out. I want to get my stuff out. But sometimes you do have to just be quiet and put down your phone and your computer and what you're reading and sit and look at the other person and hear what they're saying 
And after you've listened for a little while, you want to say back to them what you think you heard so they can correct you if, in fact, you're you're hearing through the prism of your own feelings and you didn't quite get it. You want to give it a few chances to make sure that you're really you're really listening, getting it before you have a response. And in today's world, we tend to be like, you know, I'm listening to you for 30 seconds and then I got to answer my email and I'm looking at this. Oh, this beeped. You know, we we have trouble attending to the people who really actually are important in our lives. So I would say, you know, that active listening is what I'm talking about. And it's, it's very important. So for the topics that we've discussed today, what are some potential resources where people can kind of do some research, find out more, kind of dig in and learn about these topics? Well, wow, we've talked about a lot of topics. So, well, if you're interested in psychobiography, it actually so happens that, as you pointed out, some of them are up on YouTube, but most of them are up on the 92nd Street Wise website, 92y.org. And so if that kind of content interests you, you can you can find them all there. There are many. I will be talking about this concept of finding the strengths in our differences on my podcast, The Power of Different Podcasts. When it comes to trying to improve your relationships. I think, you know, there's, there are so many resources, although, you know, some are better than others, to be perfectly honest. There are, I would say, you know, I, I actually often write about relationships for health magazine and health.com. But, you know, there are many, I think, good authors, you know, in the arena of relationships. Harville Hendricks is a wonderful, writes, has written numerous books on, on love and relationships and, and active listening. And um, I think uh, he's very good. The Love Lab, which is in Seattle, puts out a lot of great information about relationships and many, many wonderful writings. I think they're very helpful. Um, and I think if you're having a, a very particular kind of problem, it's very reasonable to seek therapy, which, you know, is better earlier than later if you're really having a struggle in your relationship. And what is one piece of homework that you would give our listeners? For relationships, I actually would say it's wonderful to uh, two things, I would say, for your partner relationship. I would say go home and try to practice active listening with taking turns in doing that. But I would also say that in our frenetic and emotionally charged lives, we often forget to just be affectionate to our partners. So I'm not talking about sex, which is very important, but I'm just talking about holding hands or, you know, putting your, your hand on your partner's neck and giving them a squeeze or giving your partner just, you know, a kiss because, and, you know, that conveys so much of, you know, I love you. I like you. I want to be with you. You're important to me. And we often just forget to do that. And we just zoom in for just the sex or nothing. And that in-between affection can make all the difference. And where can people find you online? Well, let's see. I have a website at www.drgailsaltz.com. They can tweet me at Dr. Gail Saltz. I have a Facebook page. They can find me there. So there are many methods of finding me. I love to get questions. I do answer them and I'm happy to do it. Well, Gail, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a fascinating discussion and uh, really, really interesting to kind of dig in and learn about a number of historical figures who've overcome or not even overcome, but really leveraged what many would consider sort of 
stigmatized problems or mental illnesses and, and achieved incredible results. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. Listeners like you are why we do this podcast. The emails and stories we receive from listeners around the globe bring us joy and fuel our mission to unleash human potential. I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, send me your thoughts, kind words, comments, ideas, suggestions, your story, what the podcast means to you, whatever it might be. I read and respond to every single email that I get from listeners. My email address is matt, M-A-T-T, at scienceofsuccess.co. That's matt at scienceofsuccess.co. Shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you. The greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. Lastly, as a thank you to you for being awesome listeners, I'm giving away a $100 Amazon gift card. All you have to do to be entered to win is to text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.